Welcome to our third lesson in Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. I uh, hope you've been with us since the beginning. You can always go back and catch up, and please hit subscribe. If you have questions, patrick at rsafeharbor.com. Reading through the scripture in the order in which the books were written, and sometimes, like in our present time, we have a choice. You know, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, several of these were written when Paul was in the same situation, locked down and had to lead his people uh, by, by letters and by messengers back and forth. Sad, sad to say we only have his letters and we don't have all of his, we know because he, there are references to other letters we don't have. So we're only reading part of one person's mail, but there's still a lot here. <clears throat> if you remember in Philippians chapter three, as we were ending last week, he was saying that he used to have all of this stuff. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He'd done all the stuff and yet he'd lost everything. And then he accounted it as nothing, nothing at all, because what he got instead was knowledge of Jesus Christ. So uh, he talks about, I wanna do more. I wanna know Christ more. I wanna understand more. I wanna know more about the power of the resurrection. And I want to be able to go from here and attain resurrection of the dead. So that's where he ended it. So the thought continues, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to reach the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This um, is so very important that we catch something here. There's some, it's a wonderful passage. There, there, there are many sermons locked in this. In this. Well, they're not locked, they're there if you dig. But the thing which I love about it is the sense of movement. Paul says, I was this. And I lost all of this and I gained this. And I'd like to go up further, but I don't really look back on all of this because it brought me to here. My plan is to continue to move. If you remember last time we talked about legalistic righteousness, a term that Paul uses here and how precision obedience and precision uh, theology and faith is required in so many churches when it is expressly called out by name and dropped here saying, no, no, we replace all of that with the knowledge of Jesus the Christ. And we get, we just spend the rest of our lives learning how to know him and what that means and how that affects who we are. As he said in the earlier chapter, this um, allows us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling if necessary, not fear that God doesn't love us or not fear that we won't be lost, but fear and trembling because we want to do this right and we're in a very dangerous world. Well. I love what he says a couple of times. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Story is told, and I'm going to really compress it, of a man who rented a uh, hotel room in a very nice hotel in Washington, D.C. Uh, and he was told, oh, you're going to be on the same floor. Uh, Pablo Casals, the greatest cello player at the time, um, the, the, they, they're on that floor. And he thought, oh, that's wonderful. You know, that'd be amazing. And then he found out he was actually sharing a wall with him. To his disappointment, all day long, he could hear the great cellist doing scales, you know, an E flat, then an A minor, then just doing scales. 
Later that day, he did have the chance to go up and speak to him and he couldn't help it. He said, why are you the best player in the world practicing scales? And he said, the great man frowned a little bit and he says, I think I can get better. That's what I think of when I see Paul here. He goes, now I've done this, but it's, it's, I haven't done anything yet. I haven't done anything yet. Paul could come across as very harsh, rough, brusque, um, and by his own admission. And Peter would talk about some things Paul wrote are kind of hard to deal with. So yes, but Paul at heart understood that the more he knew about Christ, the more he was also bordering upon the unknown, just as a circle, the larger it gets, the more stuff it has inside, but it also touches on more stuff that isn't a circle. And so it begins to realize that with greater knowledge also comes greater knowledge that we don't know, uh, that there is so much out there we don't know. And if Paul is excited at this stage of life in prison, house arrest though it be, that, that he just cannot wait to say, listen, I'm not there yet, but I wanna grab a hold of whatever it is that was the reason that Christ grabbed a hold of me. And we, we talk about that, don't we? we? We'll say, well, then why did God make us? Why does God love us? Why did God allow us to be born in a place and time where we know about Christ? Why did God allow us to have printing presses? You know, why did God allow us to get this knowledge? Well, Paul, um, long before Spider-Man and his family, says that with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, to whom much is given, Scripture says, much is required. And God, Paul's saying, listen, I've been given all of this. I want to I wanna know more about why. But he's convinced, and he's correct, that he wasn't given this because he, Paul, is a great, wonderful person, but rather because he, Christ, is a great and wonderful Savior. It's the same reason that I've been uh, grab hold. It's, it's nothing to do with purity of heart. I, I don't have that. It's nothing to do with purity of spirit. I, I don't have that. It has nothing to do with a clear, 100% loving mind. Don't have that. But I, I want to know more about then why did God do this enormous gamble? And again, no offense. I'm not saying God was gambling, that God has no ideas. It is always risky to love somebody. It's very risky. It's very risky to, in, to invest your love into anybody. And God invested his love into everybody. Paul wants to know more about this. So he goes, I'm straining, I'm pressing on. I keep going. I wanna get closer to Christ, heavenward. He goes, all of us who are mature, and the word mature there, when we, we read it, it's like, all right, I'm mature. It's a more complex word than that. It means this is grown up Christian time. This isn't sing a few songs and five steps to salvation and fill out a form. No, 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 no. This isn't reading a prayer on the back of a, of a track dropped in a uh, truck stop somewhere in the middle America. It is, it's more than this. He goes, all of us who are really grown up Christian have that view that we're not there yet that we need much more, we need to grow. And he goes, if on some point you think differently, that God too will make clear to you. In other words, if you're somewhere else with this, God's gonna help you where you are. He's gonna show you where you are. <coughs> he says, but while you're, you're handling whatever business is your business, allow us to keep growing. He goes again, only let us live up to that which we have already attained. 
uh, I've, I've used this story before, but it's been, I believe, several months now. In my preaching life, um, and again, I've, I've got other jobs that I do. This is just a blessing to me, and I hope it blesses you, but aside the point, I've had many, many people come in and say, how do I find out what God's will is for my life? And my response is always the same, and that is why in the world would you want to know that? And, and many times they'll be going, what, what do you mean? Because they thought they were on a holy quest, and they are, but I need to impress something upon them. So I'll look at them and say, what are things that God has told you to do or be that you are not yet doing or being? And we talk about loving our enemies, praying for those who misuse us. We talk about praying for rulers. We talk about the love that we are to show toward the forgotten, the, the fatherless, the widow, on and on. And I'll say, are you doing all of these things? And it's not a fair question because people's natural humility will then jump in and say, oh, no, no. But the fact is, oh, no, no. And I'll say, do what you know to do. And God will make sure you do what he needs you to do. I'll say it again, just do what you know to do. And God will make sure you do what you were designed and chosen to do. And you might not even know it. And it'll be amazing when you get to heaven and find out who's there because you did what God needed you to do and you weren't even aware. So Paul says, just do what you know to do. That's all. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Now again, when I was a boy, they, they leapt upon the word pattern and tried to find a pattern of worship, a pattern of how to establish the church, a, a pattern of church polity or rule uh, and authority and such like. Paul's already rejected that in this chapter in very strong terms. The pattern is love Christ and seek after Christ want to know more about Christ, do what you know to do as you continue to draw, to draw nearer to Christ. That's the pattern. That's the example. So uh, he says, for I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Now this may sound very, very harsh and very, very judgmental. And I don't believe God has ever given us the right to be harsh and judgmental. I believe that Paul is however talking to a beloved group of people who are surrounded by pagan worshipers who do horrible things to human beings and have no sense of the value or the worth of a human life. And they, they require you to worship false gods while they misuse people's bodies, they destroy people's lives and consider it fine. I don't know how, of how many modern parallels we can use to this, but there are some. You know, whenever a nation decides, well, I'm just going to invade that nation and drop bombs on neighborhoods, they're proud of it but their destiny is destruction and their God is their stomach. In other words, their appetites, be that for land, power, or food, or alcohol, or drugs, or for sex, or for status, whatever that is. Their, their appetites run them. Their brains don't. God doesn't. They've allowed themselves 
truly, remember he used the word dogs earlier, to act as if they were animals with no conscience and no, no idea of right and wrong. We see that frequently. Now, I've never been to Thailand and I really want to go there. I have friends there, but also because so much of the beauty there, so much of the, the culture there, I'd like to know more about. And I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos of people who do nothing but really travel. And they don't travel, you know, super hotels. They, they do it on a budget or they're retired on a budget. And I'm never gonna do those things. So this allows me to enter those countries. And I'd still like to get to Thailand someday and like to see Southeast Asia, never been there, that's it. It's not a, I'm not asking you to send me tickets. And if you do, make sure they're round trip. Anyway, there are some places in Thailand, however, and you'll see the YouTube videos of this neighborhood saying this is where the prostitution is. This is where this is. And it is heartbreaking. I don't know that I've ever watched any of them all the way through because you see all of these girls out there, uh, beautiful girls that are selling themselves to sweaty, stinky, old men, mainly white men uh, that have gone there for sex tourism. And there are other places in the world, and I don't mean just to pick on Thailand, because the fact is, you can do that in America too, if you know where to go. I've worked with enough police to know this. I don't like knowing some of the things I know. But you see the animal eyes, the animal appetites in these men that descend upon these streets. And they're proud of it. They'll take pictures. They'll put videos up on porn websites. They're proud of it. Their destiny is destruction. You cannot live with this like this without tearing apart your body, mind, and spirit. It will happen, and in fact, if you look at them, you can see it as an ongoing process. They're being driven by their stomachs, but their destiny, their glory even, look at me, is their shame. Their mind, he says very simply, is on earthly things. We're not to be that way. Our lives are not to be going around on these streets screaming at these men, because that won't fix it. And by the way, rescuing the girls won't, because you're, you're, you, know, you can rescue all you want to, and I hope that, I know that agencies do, and I fully support them. What we need to do is stop the appetite at its source by saying, get your mind out of the gutter, as he used to say, on earth, off of earthly things. And look at that, that woman, that girl, as a human being made in the image of God. Her father is God and he is watching you right now. What are you doing? Live in a different way. I wish I had a solution for all the world's problems. I do, but it's a very slow one. We, we can't drop a bomb. We have to love people in the name of Jesus. And then when they ask us why we love them, tell them about Jesus. It's slow, but it is as much longer and more profound effect than a bomb in time. So Paul here wants to tell us how we are supposed to live. And he says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's very important. Um, I don't mean to offend anyone here at all. My, my son served in the United States military. Uh, we've had British military, we've had American military through our family for many, many, many years. Uh, we love this country. We also love Scotland. We love we love Thailand. We love wherever you are as well, because it's just full of people. But I was appalled 
when we returned to America and found so many churches having an American flag on the podium. Um, I'm not offended by the flag, but why is it up there where we are speaking of Christ? I don't think there's any room for Christian nationalism where we're going to set up a kingdom that's run by Christ in our country. He didn't ask us to. And he kept saying, my kingdom is not of this world. I would, I would suggest that you take him at his word and that instead our citizenship is different. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are aliens and wanderers on this earth. I can still remember, I was just a boy, and I don't know how old I was, but I know I was a teenager. When we landed in France at Charles de Gaulle Airport, and I was looking out the windows, you're taxiing, and back in those days, kids, parking lots came right up to the runways, because we weren't, there weren't all of the hijackings, bombings, and the like. So you, you would just walk on your plane. In fact, as they were taxiing, it was routine for them to say, this plane is going to Nairobi. If Nairobi is not in your travel plans, let us know immediately. They really did. So anyway, so we're, I'm looking at all the cars. And of course, I'm seeing cars that I, I normally wouldn't see, you know, Citroen and Peugeot and uh, Polsky and Fiat and, and the like. And my first thought was, look at all the foreign cars. And as soon as I thought it, it hit me. No, wait, those are domestic. I'm the foreigner because I think our TV sound isn't great. And uh, also because of my ears, I've done a lot of, been around a lot of loud noises. We keep subtitles up on our television for programs, not news or something or sports, but for other programs. And we watch a lot of TV that has, uh, that, that is sourced out of Australia, New Zealand, all over Europe, and so therefore different languages. Uh, BritBox is one, but mainly Acorn. Acorn brings a lot of uh, non-English stuff to you. And every so often, uh, you'll have somebody from Greenland or you'll have somebody from Denmark speaking. And the subtitles don't even try. It just says speaking a foreign language. And I keep thinking, no, they're in Greenland. They're speaking their language. We're the foreigner. But I get the point. We need to keep reminding ourselves we're the foreigner here. We are the strangers. We are the one whose citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our, our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Now, there are those who think that this is the end of one of his books and they've digested the book by cutting and pasting. I don't think so. I think that Paul very often finished a letter, but you didn't have a letter there and hit send. You still had to arrange somebody to come and get it and to take it. And then the writer, you know, because Paul often, uh, almost always dictated his letters and then would sometimes do a portion at the very bottom and say, you know, this is authentic because you know how I write. So that'd be very frequent, very possible that that's laying there for uh, a day, a week. And then he thinks of more. And so he adds more. This doesn't have to be complicated. All right, it, it just doesn't. But I love this next section. And we're going to finish, uh, or get as close as we can to finish. I think we should try uh, this book today. He goes, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sentiki to, and, I'll go, and by the way, I have no idea if I pronounce those names correctly. If I don't, it's okay. They're dead, and we're just using them as examples at this stage. To agree with each other in the Lord. 
I love that passage. Why? Because it tells him, get along. But it doesn't, he gives no indication who's right. These two women have got something going on that they are button heads about something. They might even be forming parties of you, you know, we're, we're for her, they're for him, but um, I, um, you know, no, he, he didn't tell him who's right. He just says, agree. In other words, just as Jesus said, agree with each other, agree with your adversary on the road. Agreed, uh, agree with them. Well, uh, this is, this is an important. This is an important thing. Uh, learn to get along is more important than deciding which of you was right in the first place. Wow, that's a big concept, isn't it? He goes, yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, um, and some manuscripts have a name there, which looks like Sizergisk, but I don't know if that's a real name or if that means yoke fellow, buddy, friend. So can't help you there. Help these women who have contended at my, size, my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's saying, people just help them agree. Let's help get this sorted. All right, I think that's um, I think that's a good idea. I think that's you know, let's all get together and work this out. But we don't have to figure out who's right. We just have to figure out how to get along. Wow, how very unlike what we would expect. And then I love the way he does this the rest of the chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your faithfulness, let your correctness. Now, let your gentleness be known to all. Mm. Let your gentleness be known, or in the NIV, evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will fill your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, and you will get whatever you wish for, and you will get whatever you, he says, make your request be known, but do it also with thanksgiving. Acknowledge to God all that he's already done. And, and, and by the way, we try, don't we? But the fact is we remember our disappointments much, much more than we remember those times that just seemed like it naturally went okay. Uh, our kids usually get home safe. I usually am able to go home to see Cammie at the end of the D. So we pray, you know, return them back to us safely and they come back, we don't even think about it. We need, we need more thankfulness in our lives and then I think there will be fewer disappointments in our lives. Not because being thankful means God's gonna do what we say. No, he's not a doggy, he's not a pet. He's not a program that we're writing. No, it's because the more thankful we are, the more we're able to bear with the occasional disappointment because we know how blessed we really are. Finally, brothers, here's, by the way, here's God's kennel. This is the length of the run of our chain. This is our hither shalt thou come and no further. Your thoughts, we ought to be able to put on a wall that they are true, noble, it's right, it's pure, it's lovely, it's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. 
by the way, you do get a choice what to think about. Uh, I can be so upset over what's going on in China with the Uyghurs, what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on here, that I don't end up loving people and I don't. I'm afraid to, to give my money to a church or to a charity or to the, to the poor person that's right in front of me because I'm afraid what happens if our money crashes, what happens if we go to war? You can live in fear, but Paul says, no, you choose what to think for. You choose what to think about. You go that direction. Whatever's admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And then he, he has the nerve to say, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I would hope one day to be to that standard that I could look at you and say, hey guys, you've heard from me, you've seen me, you've watched me, just do that. But I'm not there yet, I'm such a flawed human being. But I'll, and Paul, while flawed, Let's, let's face it, Paul had a lot more advancement spiritually than I'll ever have. And so he's, he's setting a bar there, but I think we all ought to try to be the kind of people other people could emulate, that they could follow in our steps and they could find a life with Christ by watching what we do. He thanks people for the gifts. This is very quick here. Um, I rejoice greatly in the, in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So when he said at last, he's not going, well, you took you long enough. He, he understands the reality. They couldn't get anything to him. I'm not saying this because I'm in need for, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You see why I love Philippians? Paul says, you know, I can, I can handle it. I'm not afraid. And this is something which I keep preaching at you, and that is the merchants of fear and the pulpits of fear and the, uh, the media fear merchants, the fear mongers that are out there in politics. You don't have to buy it. You can be content. Um, my wife and I every so often go through the house and just do a, we no longer use this, this needs to go. And it's our stuff, it's our clothes, it's, it's our toys. You know, it might be you know, golf clubs or art stuff or it might be whatever. And we don't do that to be self-righteous. We do that to remind ourselves of a very salient fact. And that is you will give up most of what you own, willingly or unwillingly. I don't know how many times I've had to help families as they move somebody from a very full house to a room or maybe a little suite in a retirement center. And you've got to get rid of this, you've got to get rid of that, this won't go. And normally the rooms start out packed. And then you have to start eating. Over time, the people realize, well, this is, I need the room more than I need this. But they, whether they wanted to or not, they had to get rid of stuff. So don't get attached to it. Maybe we shouldn't let it move on. Put it to use. Give it to the poor, whatever it's necessary. Learn how to do without as well as we learn how to do with. It's a really hard task. And I'm not gonna pretend to you that I've got this nailed. What I can tell you is I'm a lot better than I was and I hope to be a lot better than I am. Fair enough? 
He says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. By the way, I know what that's like. I was a missionary for a while and trying to get money out of churches that were rich, had much money in the bank, massive buildings. If they had just given us the, the cost of one chandelier, we would have been able to, to stay another year on the field. But no, our priority was too low. We got cut uh, from support. We were going to do a mission with a, um, a church uh, in the Eastern US and it was going to be a, um, a pretty difficult mission and they were poor. And so another church had reached out and said, we will support you and we will pay you and Cami to go there and work with them. And we want, we want this to be a long thing. We were out there less than two months and we got a letter saying that that month would be the last month. You know, they, they didn't have the money to support us anymore. Two months after we got there. A day later in the mail, in the post, came their bulletin, which they mailed freely out. This is before email days, obviously. And we opened it up and they were having a party on a Sunday to, re to uh, celebrate the breaking of ground on a massive new gymnasium and multi-purpose building. I'm not opposed to that, not at all. But they told us they had no money for us when we, the, they could have supported us for 10 years for the price of just the folding chairs they were gonna put in there. The priorities were off. Paul says, let's learn how to do without that kind of stuff so that more can be done for God. And again, uh, I get it when Paul says he tried to, to get help from churches and not a one until he got to Philippi, helped him a bit. I think sometimes we forget what we're supposed to do with God's money. And we think it's to make our lives more comfortable on a Sunday morning and more impressive from the street. That's fine if you've got extra, but our money is there to serve and to love and care for those that God wanted us to serve, love and care for. He goes on, not that I'm looking, oh, uh, he says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. He's saying, I'm not saying all this, this so you'll send me more. What I'm saying this is to let you know God has seen this God will not forget what you've done. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent, they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm doing well, and you've made sure I'm doing well, and thank you, and God will not forget, forget what you've done. And remember, Epaphroditus did a good job. That seemed to have been a point of contention, either in Epaphroditus' mind or in the people back home or both. So Paul's settling it, saying everybody did their job, and they did it great. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul in prison was still teaching. Back in the um, days of the Iron Curtain, ask your parents or grandparents, kids. Uh, you, we had to, I say we, I didn't. 
Christians had to smuggle literature and teachers past lines of communist guards with rifles ready to shoot. Bibles expressly forbidden. Christian teaching expressly forbidden. And yet, uh, they, um, they went anyway. And we were told a story when, when I was in university of this man that went and he was caught. He was an American man and he was put into prison. And his sentence, I forget the number, but it was, it was considerable. It was like six or eight years, but they cut it short in less than a year and sent him home because he kept converting his guards. Instead of being in prison in a foreign country and thinking, all right, that's it then. Um, I tried to serve God, but look where I am. He thought, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be serving him. And his love and gentleness and kindness toward the guards kept winning them for Christ. I sure hope that was a true story. I think it was. The guy telling us was acting as if that was him and his team. So I'm hoping it is. Regardless, wouldn't it be cool to have that kind of attitude? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen, Paul says. And I say to you, I look forward to seeing you next week. Go with God.